The title of what I'm sharing with you this morning is The Wisdom of the Cross. That is what I've felt to share about. Can I encourage you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1? We'll get there in a few moments' time. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And in 1 Corinthians 1, we find what is a very interesting passage of Scripture. I would su suggest or guess you haven't heard too much of this passage before in the past. And so let's have a look at what it says and, and open up our hearts for the Spirit to guide us into all truth. So I am reading from the New Living Translation because it brings it across with a great sense of clarity and I really wanted that with sharing this message. 1 Corinthians 1, we're looking at verse 18 to 25 and it reads as follows. It says, the message of the cross. Now, I just wanna stop there for a moment. Wouldn't you agree that Good Friday, Passover weekend, it's good that we would talk about the message of the cross. And that's what it starts off with. It says, the message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. But we who are being saved know it is the very power of God. As the scriptures say, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and, in, and discard the intelligence of the intelligent. So where does this leave the philosophers, the scholars, and the world's brilliant debaters God has made the wisdom of this world to look foolish. Wow. Verse 21. Since God in his wisdom saw to it that the world would never know him through human wisdom. That's powerful. He used our foolish preaching to save those who believe. Verse 22. It is foolish to the Jews who ask for signs from heaven. What is foolish? This whole message of the cross. It says it is foolish to the Jews who ask for signs from heaven. By the way, the Jews, they would typically say, no, 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 I'm not gonna first believe and then see a sign. They would say, I wanna see a sign and then I will believe. And even in the gospels, they came to Jesus and they said, Rabbi, show us a sign. But Jesus was making it clear that uh, it is foolish to the Jews who ask for signs from heaven. And it is foolish to the Greeks who seek human wisdom. The Greeks were into their philosophy, their love of wisdom and debating and talking and reasoning and so on. And that's how they thought they would get to God. And so as for the, uh, the, the Greeks, this whole message of the cross, it was foolishness to them because they seek human wisdom. Verse 23. So when we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended. And the Gentiles say it's all nonsense. But to those called by God to salvation, 
Both Jews and Gentiles, listen to this, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Come on, get excited about that for a moment. Come on, come on, come on. Listen to that again. Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. And then verse 25 says, this foolish plan, you could say foolish in inverted commas because so-called foolish, this foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest of human plans. And God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strength. And we thank the Lord for his word. God can speak to you through this today. He's already speaking to you through this today. Please would you keep this open? We're gonna look back to it several times. And so in essence, what is this passage all about? This passage deals with how the world sees the cross as compared to how believers see the cross. And there is a vast difference between the two. Some of you may be familiar with John Piper, a well-regarded theologian. And this is what he says about the cross. He says, life is wasted if we do not grasp the glory of the cross, cherish it for the treasure that it is, and cleave to it as the highest price of every pleasure and the deepest comfort in every pain. What was once foolishness to us, a crucified God must become our wisdom and our power and our only boast in this world. And so when I think of all of this, I think, well, God, would you open the eyes of our hearts today on this Good Friday that we would see the glory of the cross in a new way. And by the Spirit of God, He can do it. Be expectant. We're not here playing church today. We're here to be changed. We're here to be transformed by the Word of God. There are three points that I'd like to share with you. Number one. The cross seems like foolishness to the world. Think about that for a moment. The cross seems like foolishness to the world. Why don't you say that aloud with me? The cross seems like foolishness to the world. Now, if you look at our text, it says in verse 18, the first part, it says the message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. It also says in verse 22, about the message of the cross that it is foolish to the Jews who ask for signs from heaven and it is foolish to the Greeks who seek human wisdom. And then in verse 23, if you look at the second part, it says the Gentiles say it is all nonsense. You know what? People have said a lot of crazy things about the cross down throughout the ages. And still today, many people pour out ridicule and criticism and terrible words related to the cross. I mean, just imagine if CNN was to report on the cross as if perhaps it happened today. <laughs> How would they report on it? How would they portray the story? Probably they would portray it with much, much disdain and contempt, am I right? I see it as foolishness. You see, the world sees the cross 
as a symbol of weakness. It sees it as a symbol of defeat and a symbol of shame. But actually, the cross is completely the opposite. It is a symbol of strength. It is a symbol of victory, and it is a symbol of the glory of God. That is what the cross really is. But yet, to the world, the cross is foolishness. They can't believe that a Jew dying on a cross could conceivably be the way of salvation. (laughs) And when they try to contemplate this with their human intellect, it literally boggles their minds. It does not fit with their intellectual understanding. And they ridicule the concept of a God who was crucified. If he was such a great man, why was he crucified? They ridicule the concept. But I wanna tell you the message of the cross stands firm. Jesus Christ was crucified on behalf of sinners. That is the truth of the word of God. He died in your place. He took the penalty of your sins upon himself. He paid the price. He fulfilled everything required by the Father. And now he has brought you into righteousness. And we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. God has done so many incredible things for us. Hallelujah. Praise God. And so they still ridicule the cross, and, but that's clear. Jesus was crucified on behalf of sinners. Now, when we talk about the cross, the crucifixion obviously features here. Now, in biblical times, crucifixion was the way that criminals were put to death. It was a terrible, terrible form of death unbelievable agony. And crucifixion was associated with everything that is shameful and dishonorable. And in the light of that, it's actually astonishing that God chose this method of death for his only begotten son. It is quite astonishing. But you know what? In God's infinite wisdom, he decided that's the way it's gonna be. And I wanna remind you that God is perfect in all his ways. Nowadays, by the way, if somebody receives the death penalty, they probably will not be crucified. I don't know if there's any place on the planet where the death penalty is followed by crucifixion. But interesting, There are 55 countries in the world that still practice the death penalty. And if they meet out the death penalty to someone, they would not crucify them, but they could be electrocuted or they could receive a lethal injection. But electrocution is one of the most common ways of criminals facing the death penalty. Now just imagine, here's a crazy thought for a moment. Just imagine if the electric chair became a symbol of hope. Now, I know know that's bizarre. Don't worry, I'm not getting off the rails here, okay? But just imagine if that terrible means of execution became a symbol of hope. But here's the thing. The Almighty God chose the cross of crucifixion to become the greatest symbol of hope of all time. That is what our God has done. Praise God. He changed it from a symbol of shame, a despicable symbol, and he changed it into a symbol of hope. Praise God. 
And I think to myself, what a God. What an incredible God. Only our God can take the foolish things of the world and confound the wise. And today, the cross is the most well-known and recognizable symbol in the entire world. And I wanna say that that symbol of the cross, it belongs to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It is His symbol, and as Christians, it is our symbol. Come on, give the Lord a hand of praise. It's ours, it's ours, it's ours. It belongs to the church. It belongs to God. And it is such a powerful symbol. And that symbol of the cross is shouting out hope to all humanity. The most well-known symbol on the planet. Now, in our passage, Paul divides humanity into two categories. He divides it into those who are perishing and those who are being saved. And there are a number of contrasts that can be drawn between these two groups. Can I give you just a couple of contrasts quickly? Just listen out. To the saved... The cross is power. To the lost, it is weakness. To the saved, the cross is wisdom. To the lost, it is foolishness. To the saved, the cross is eternal deliverance. To the lost, it is eternal destruction. To the saved, the cross, cross is a secure path. To the lost, it is a stumbling block. To the saved, the cross is salvation, and to the lost, it is condemnation. To the saved, the cross means heaven, <laughs> and to the lost, it means hell. To the saved, the cross means freedom, and to the lost, it means slavery. And lastly, to the saved. The cross is something that we boast in. But you know what? To the lost, they only boast in themselves. And so do you see that the cross is the great divide of all humanity? And I ask you today, how do you see the cross of Calvary? Point number two. Listen to this. The cross reveals the immense wisdom and power of God. Say this aloud with me. The cross reveals the immense wisdom and power of God. Now, in our passage, have a look at verse 18. It says, the message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction, but we who are being saved know it is the very power of God. That's very interesting. There's something to learn right here. Can you pick it up? You see, let me ask you this question. In this verse, why is the message of the cross referred to as the very power of God? Let me say that again. Think carefully. In this verse, why is the message of the cross referred to as the very power of God? And here is the answer. Because the moment you hear the message of the cross and you respond in faith, you are supernaturally regenerated and transformed because it is the power of God unto salvation. Many people don't realize that. Come on, give the Lord a bigger hand of praise. Come on. Isn't that simple? Yes, it is. So you just hear the gospel message. You hear this message of the cross. And then you respond in faith. 
And then God goes to work. The very power of God begins to work in you and you are changed. And so what does this tell us? It tells us, in other words, that the message is literally life-changing. Please tell the person next to you, the message is life-changing. Tell them that. It's life-changing to the point that you become born again. You become a new creation in Christ. You become brand new because it is the power of God unto salvation. And you know what? It's so wonderful. When somebody gets born again, have you noticed if they are truly born again, their countenance changes? You can see there's been a conversion. You can see the change. Why? Because the gospel transforms lives. That is what it does. And together with this, I wanna say, you know what? We should never be ashamed of the message of the cross. Even though the world thinks it's crazy, even even though some of your family members, your work colleagues think that you are from planet Zoltar or something because you believe this stuff, I wanna tell you, it is still the power of God unto salvation. Keep declaring the word of God with boldness. Don't be ashamed because it is the power of God to save. And in Romans 1 verse 16, it says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. How many of you can say, I'm purposing in my heart that I will not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Amen. Your hand should be up nice and high. (laughs) Verse 24, just have a look there, it says, but to the called of God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God, we've just spoken about that, and now it says the wisdom of God. So we've just touched on the power of God, but what can we say about the wisdom of God? Well, here it is. Jesus, death on the cross, is God's wisdom in full display. I'll say it again. When Jesus died on the cross, it was the wisdom of God on full display. Now, in terms of this, you see there is a worldly type of wisdom that humanity loves to worship. They think that they will find all the answers in that worldly wisdom, and they worship that wisdom. But you know what? That so-called wisdom only leads to destruction. Whereas there is a true wisdom of God which is only found in Jesus Christ and He is our life, amen? Amen. You see, human wisdom will never bring you to salvation. Salvation can only come through the wisdom of the cross and this is what this passage today is making clear. Listen to what this one theologian says. He says the following, The power of the cross opens the way for the humblest to know God and overcome evil. And that is wisdom. Far superior to anything the philosophers could produce. On the level of the search for wisdom, the foolishness of God proves to be true wisdom. Down through the last hundreds of years, 
There are many great names that you can state as you look through history and so on. Philosophers, debaters, people who had all these big ideas and some of these ideas did help us to understand certain aspects of the world in which we live. But I wanna tell you, if philosophy does not lead you to the life giver, Jesus himself, then it is empty, it is devoid, it is not worth it. But the true wisdom of God brings us right to Christ. He is our life. He is our righteousness. Give the Lord a hand of praise, please. The last point, number three, this is a brief one. The cross calls us to approach with humility. Why don't you say this aloud, aloud with me? The cross calls us to approach with humility. Now, having said that, I wanna say that Knowing Jesus, listen to this, knowing Jesus is the greatest thing that you and I can ever experience. Remember that old song, the greatest thing in all my life is knowing you. It's the greatest thing we can experience, but it all starts by humbly bowing before the cross. I wanna ask you today, have you humbly bowed before the cross? In verse 21, it says there, God in his wisdom saw to it that the world would never know him through human wisdom. You see, here's something that people need to realize. You cannot come to God with your own puffed up human wisdom. It doesn't work that way. You have to come by way of the cross. And then some people with their puffed up wisdom, they say no. If I'm gonna come to God, I want a better way. I want a more impressive way. No, no, no. Humble your heart and come by the way that is established by the way of the cross. And, and Jesus said, no one comes to the Father except through me, through the humble way of the cross. And in verse 25, which is the last verse I wanna point out to you, it says this foolish plan of God, and that is, you know, in inverted commas, foolish. This foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest of human plans. So what we need to appreciate today is that God's wisdom, child of God, is far superior. It doesn't get better than the wisdom of God and we must value and appreciate the wisdom on the, of the cross today. Are you beginning to value that wisdom of the cross in a greater way? And listen to this, when we approach the cross, we have to realize that we can only do so through the low door of humility. I have to empty myself, I have to deny myself, the Bible says, and then I take up what? I take up the cross of God and I begin to follow God. It's too incredible. <laughs> At the end of the day, if you're gonna follow Jesus, you will be taking up the cross, which was modeled for us by Jesus, and then you take it up in a spiritual sense as well. And so we have to come through the low door of humility. What's the big idea? The cross calls for humility. Please say that with me. The cross calls for humility. And so listening to me online today, listening to me here in the auditorium, I wanna say we must recognize that our own wisdom and our own power are completely insufficient to save us. We cannot save ourselves. We desperately need the wisdom and the power of God as demonstrated through the cross. Hallelujah. 
I'm drawing to a close. Chris Tomlin put out a song a couple of years ago. He reworked a hymn and then also added in this particular chorus. The song is called The Wonderful Cross. And this is what it says. Oh, the wonderful cross. Oh, the wonderful cross. Bids me come and die and find that I may truly live. Oh, the wonderful cross. Oh, the wonderful cross bids me come and die and find that I may truly live. I wanna end off by saying this to you today. On this Good Friday, let us humbly bow before the wisdom and the power of the cross. Give the Lord a hand of praise, amen. Now, as uh, Marie comes up just to play in the background, I would like to just give an opportunity for a prayer of salvation. I'm not gonna call people to the front, but I feel it's so critical. How can we talk about the cross and all that Jesus does for us without giving an opportunity to pray a prayer of salvation? May I invite you, can we just close our eyes and just have a devotional time with the Lord? I'm gonna lead you in a prayer of salvation. This is a prayer to surrender your life, to dedicate your life to Jesus. And I'm gonna invite that in your own heart, you pray this prayer, just quietly, phrase by phrase. This is the prayer which I invite you to pray after me, quietly in your heart. Lord Jesus Christ, I repent of my sins and I place my faith in you. I humbly bow before the cross, the wonderful cross. I surrender my life to you. Be my Lord and be my Savior. I choose to live for you unashamedly in Jesus' name. Thank you that right now you give me the privilege to become a child of God. I am born again. I am a new creation in Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you for everyone that prayed that prayer and meant business with you you say that everyone that calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Thank you for what has happened here. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, we wanna encourage you, get a hold of a Bible, download one online if necessary, and read the Gospel of John. It's the fourth book in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Read the Gospel of John and get involved in a local church. Amen. Are we ready for communion? Amen. So I'm gonna invite you to just have the elements ready. Let's not partake yet. I'd like to read a scripture and then we will partake of communion together all at the same time. But would you just appreciate how blessed we are to partake in the Lord's Supper?
Jesus left two ordinances for us when he left the earth, which are special sacred practices. One of them is believer's baptism. The second one is the Lord's Supper. And here we are partaking on the Lord's, of the Lord's Supper. May I just read to you. I'm reading from 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23 to 26 in the New Living Translation. Now, picture yourself there on the night that Jesus was betrayed. Don't just let these words go over your head. Listen. On the night when he, Jesus, was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this to remember me. Verse 25, in the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with his blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. The last verse, for every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. And I wanna just tell you, there will come a day when we will stop announcing the Lord's death until he comes and we will be with him forever. We will see him in the twinkling of an eye. We will become just like him. Your faith will become sight. God's promise is true. Lord, we lift up the bread right now in prayer. Let's close our eyes. Father, thank you. We know that the bread represents the, the body of Jesus Christ. We know, Jesus, that you are the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. So we also just take a moment to say, Lord, anything that we've said or done lately that hasn't pleased you, we're sorry, Lord. We know we live under grace, but at the same time, if we do something that displeases you, it's only right that we say sorry. We bring anything before you. Thank you, Lord. If we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. As we break this wafer, we remind ourselves, Jesus, of your broken body and what you went through on the cross because you love us. And we thank you for what you have done. The body of the Lord broken for you. just sense, just to have a brief, just devotional moment, just you and Jesus, just you and Jesus. We love you, Jesus. We love you, we love you, we love you, we love you. Lord, we are so blessed. You've given us everything that we need. Now, Father, we lift up the cup. Scripture tells us that this represents the blood of Jesus. This is the most precious commodity ever known to mankind. 
And so, Lord, we just want to say thank you that we are in covenant relationship with you and the covenant is sealed and ratified by your blood. There's no more powerful way of a contract between God and man being settled but by the blood of Jesus that ratifies the contract, the covenant. And so we, with great joy, we say thank you for your blood, the blood of the Lord shed for you. blood of the Lord shed for you. Father, we want to thank you for today. We know that you have been working here by your Spirit. And we just say to you, be all the glory, the honor, the wisdom, the power, the dominion, the strength from now and forevermore. We say we love you, Jesus. Why don't you just say, I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. So I bless your people. The Lord bless you, keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up the light of His smile upon you and give you peace. And we all say, Amen. Amen. Can somebody say hallelujah? hallelujah? Praise God. Bless you. You're free to be on your way. Have a wonderful Sunday.